Okay, so uh, back at it. It is time for the Pistols Firing Podcast with your hosts, yours truly, Carson Cunningham. I mean, he's about as pretty as they get. Joined, as always, by Kyle Porter. When he breaks through and gets in the open, it's over. Gone. The Pistols Firing Podcast starts right now. Welcome back to a post-Bedlam edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. Kyle Porter, do you have a Bedlam hangover on this Monday? I know some OSU fans do. Uh, I, I, I really don't. You know, I, I think uh, there have definitely been years where I have. And this year I kind of went in thinking it's just not going to happen. And uh, it played out kind of like I thought it would. It, it felt like it was going to be another like 62-52 game early. And then it, there was just nothing after that. It really kind of petered out. Yeah, each team had nine drives apiece. Yeah. I don't know the last time that OSU and OU had nine drives in, in a game, in, in a Bedlam game. But but no, I'm like you. Like If OSU doesn't throw the interception late and they score, I almost I nailed, almost nailed the score. I had 34-24. I think it was my final score that I gave on the broadcast before. But um, it could have been a lot worse than that, Kyle. Look, OSU was dominated, and we'll get into all of the all the talking points on the mid-first five. But no, I think this was one of the less or one of the least painful bedlams in quite some time in that everyone could see how much more, how much better OU was, you know, OSU certainly had their chances, but like over the course of that game, there was no question that Oklahoma deserved to win and deserved to win pretty easily. Well, and and how much of that is the quarterback thing, right? Because I I think everybody's like, Oh, Drew Brown, Drew Brown, Drew Brown. And then you're like, "Ah, I mean, he's, he's, he's a backup. Like he's a good backup. That's what he is. And, I was talking to somebody after the game, and they're like, look, OSU wasn't beating OU with Drew Brown at quarterback. Like, that just wasn't going to happen. And so I'm curious about – you talk about the domination thing, and I agree, but how much of that is um, difference in quarterback play? I mean, that's a a canyon between Jalen Hurts and Drew Brown. And how much of it is just uh, better athletes, better uh, on both, you know, defensive line, offensive line? I mean – Listen, OU had those two drives in the, uh, I guess, in the third and the in the beginning of the fourth where they were just like, you know what, screw you, drives. Like, they were just like, we're going to end this game right now. They went 11 plays for 93 yards, and then they went 11 for 73. And on the first one, the 93-yarder, I looked at Kyle Boone in the press box, and I was like, this is – this is the game. If they if they drive it all the way down and they score, that is a complete wrap. There's no way Oklahoma State can recover from that. And that's exactly what happened. So I, I don't know. I'm curious when you say domination, what which facet of the game are you talking about? Well, I'm certainly talking about what you mentioned with the OU running game. I mean, look, OSU knew they were running the GT counter all game. OU knew they were running it, and they couldn't stop it. Like that, that to me summed up the entire game in terms of just not having enough dudes. You know, they've played really well on defense, Kyle, but going up against Oklahoma is just a different deal. Yeah. In terms of their offensive line and their running game. And so now I will say this and we can get into it, um, but OSU certainly had their chances. And look, I, I think it comes down to not having I don't think it's I, I think it's less Drew Brown and more of not having Tywin Wallace 
and and Spencer Sanders to keep people off Chuba because OU just loaded up on Chuba and there's nothing else you could do about it because they didn't have anybody else. But yeah. I also don't think I don't think the coaching staff put Drew Brown in a lot of good positions either. So I, I think Drew Brown. I st- said before the podcast last week or on the podcast last week. Drew Brown's a capable quarterback. He hit a deep throw. He hit some good throws over yeah. the middle when they actually ran receivers over the middle. But we'll we'll get into all that. But I, I think it it comes down to recruiting uh, when it, when, it, when it comes down to physicality and who's going to win the war in the trenches. OSU never wins that battle against mm-hmm. OU. No, I know. Um, okay, before we get into the mid first five, let's talk about mid first. Bank with a winner, unlike Oklahoma State every year in Bedlam. Uh, you can sign up for an OSU credit card. To buy some Christmas presents at pfbstore.com. Got some good stuff there. A lot of clearance items. Because uh, we're about to load up with some new stuff. So uh, go to midfirst.com slash pistols firing. To get an OSU credit card, you can earn points. You get a $150 bonus. And there are Bursar rewards options. Carson, midfirst five. Let's go. Number one, red zone decision making. Yeah, and this number one can go just with the coaching staff in general. And look, I want to preface this with Oklahoma was by far the better team. They could have won that game by 30 if the last you know quarter plays out a little differently. If Gundy doesn't forfeit the last 50 seconds, uh, that, that game could have been much, <laughs> much on. worse. Hold on. What what was the last 50 seconds? Was it a, did Well, they... <laughs> I, I say that in jest. I mean, basically, there was a 10-second runoff, and since Mike Gundy didn't call a timeout, uh, it got below the time, got below the play clock for the next play for OSU, and they just chose to run it out. Because let's face it, the game was over. It's not like he forfeited. I was just, it felt I was like, just making fun of the – it was a bad look. It just – the game was over. It felt like everybody was at the middle of the field, and everybody just started looking around. They're like, well, I guess we should just shake hands now. Yeah, it was bizarre. And, and look, again, Oklahoma was the better team, but – Oh, Mike Gundy really the last two years and Norman last year and obviously the, the Mason and Baker game, he went for it, man. Like the yeah. narrative that he just doesn't, that he keeps it close to the vest was not true the last two years. Correct. But my gosh, at the end of the half, like this is why you're two and 13 against Oklahoma, Mike. Like mm. I get you have the false start on the two yard line. That was a killer. But it's third down on the eight, and you just you give up and say, I'm going to kick a field goal because we get the ball to start the second half. You're not as good as Oklahoma. You know this. I think in years past when he's been conservative, he thought he was as good as Oklahoma and really wanted to not screw it up. Like, you're not good enough. You have to throw the ball into the end zone on third down. You have a six foot seven NFL tight end who you refuse to throw the ball to. You have to take chances if you're going to beat Oklahoma. I think everyone listening to this show, everyone who watched the game who supports Oklahoma State, can live with the fact that OSU is not going to beat Oklahoma. It's a way of life. Mm -hmm. But what you can't live with is your head coach not going for it, not letting his nuts hang out and freaking going for the jugular. That is absurd. Like, you have to go for it. Like, you don't have your starting quarterback. You don't have your Bolitnikoff award winner. Take a freaking chance. I thought that was a horrible message to his team. I thought it was a gutless move. And look, OSU probably wasn't going to win the game. They weren't going to win the game. But they didn't pull out all the stops right there in that instance. They didn't open up the playbook. I mean, I thought there's there's a thread on the chamber for everyone who subscribes should absolutely check it out. 
some, a poster brought up a really great point about the fact that really all season, Oklahoma State never threw the ball over the middle. Yeah. They were just scared to death that their quarterback was going to throw interceptions. Well, the two times they did against Oklahoma, they got, they got big gains, successful plays, the Braden Johnson play, dragging across the middle. They just did nothing offensively. It, well, on I, fourth down, they, they run a, <laughs> a pass play to their third-string tight end who doesn't even get to the yard marker. Like I don't know, man. It, it, to me, it was a bad game plan. Look, your hands were tied with Drew to a certain extent and the lack of Tylen. And OU really, after the first quarter, collapsed their safeties toward Chuba and said, Chuba is not going to beat us. And they never made them pay. They never adjusted. I just thought it was a terrible game plan that really didn't give them a chance to win, even though, you know, like I said, you got to take some risks to win this game. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a great point. All of those points are great points. And I, I think the thing I go back to, you're talking about the fourth down. Were you talking about the fourth down where they, they rolled Drew out and he, like, didn't – they, they like, tried to run a couple guys off the right side, but they, he didn't have anybody and it was just a, it was just a mess? Yeah, oh, you batted it down and it was yeah. short of the chains. And he really only had, like, one option, it looked like to me. Yeah, and so I think – I think you get into the situation where, so you're on the eight, it's third and eight, third and goal from the eight at the end of the half. And it's like, well, I mean, honestly, I told, I told, uh, I think I told Kyle Boone this, like, it feels like they run like four plays. Right. And so the the problem becomes you're going to run a play that you like don't really run like all season in that moment because you need to throw it over the middle to your time. I mean, it's just, I I don't know like and and that's that's sort of the problem with like playing conservative playing conservative playing conservative and then when you need to be liberal everybody starts looking around like well what what are how do we do that what are we doing and so I don't know I I mean I'm with you like you gotta you gotta take some shots there like get it into the end zone and I, I mean they OU was just they basically said Chuba will not beat us Chuba will not get. I mean, after the first, what, seven carries, five carries, they basically said, good luck, Drew Brown. If you want to beat us, go ahead. And he didn't. And, and they, he did And he did beat them when they when they let him throw the football Yeah, deep. I mean, yeah. deep throws that he throws. There were times. One. And he got, he got some pass interferences, some holding, you know, some different stuff like that. But yeah. I think that's a really good point of, like, you got – if you know that they're keying in on Chuba. And Gundy acted like he knew it after the game. It's not like he was, like – Oh man, can't believe that. Uh he he I mean he knew what was happening and uh they yeah, they didn't throw it into the end zone and they didn't um you know, they they didn't they didn't take shots at it when they probably could have. Yeah, and I'm not I, I thought you wrote a good piece which we'll get to on number 2, but like I'm not expecting them to run double reverse Philly specials like Oklahoma. Cause every time let's face it, Kyle, every time OSU tries to run like a reverse or something, it's a disaster. Yeah, so yeah. their trick plays are not, they leave a lot to be desired, but I'm not asking for, you know, trick plays and onside kicks and fake punts. Like I'm just asking to, to take some chances and open up the playbook and throw the sling, the football around when you realize they are loading the box on Chuba, you should have an advantage there. Like, do I think Jordan McRae's Tylen Wallace? No, but throw him the football. Yeah. Dylan Stoner, I thought, was, was doing a pretty good job getting open. Um, I just – and Braden Johnson especially, I thought, was looked pretty good. And it just – it didn't feel, Kyle, like they really emptied the chamber, opened the playbook, just threw everything. It was not a kitchen sink type offensive game plan for me, which yeah. is what I said before the game. You have to do to beat Oklahoma. You're just not going to 
run your basic stuff and beat them. You're just not going to because, you're, let's face it, your defense was overmatched. You realize that. So you got to go get points, man. And Mike Gundy's first sentence is you can't settle for field goals. Well, that's exactly what he did by running a, running a draw play on third and eight. Well, I and wonder, really, it, I thought it, I thought it gave Oklahoma it gave Oklahoma's defense a lot of life too. You see how fired up they were? Yeah. They, they forced a field goal there. You basically handed them a huge lift and momentum and confidence boost to that defense as well. In addition to not getting throwing throwing into the end zone. Well, and I and I wonder how much of the you can't kick field goals in a in a game with OU is him like looking back on it and being like, Oh, well, you know, or, or him in the moment knowing it, because I, I do wonder like, and this was one of the things that I was thinking about. I look back at the, uh, the 17 game, that was a 31 possession game. And so you're down 14. You're like, whatever, like we'll score 14 in the next seven minutes. And in this game, being down seven felt like it was insurmountable. Right. And so I wonder how much of it in the moment was like, look, we're only getting nine possessions. And if we're on the three, if we're on the eight, if we're on the nine, we have like, like we have to, eat, we have to get a touchdown, like make it a four down deal because you have to score a touchdown because you know, you're only getting nine possessions. You, you've you only got so many of these, you know, OU is going to score 30, 35, whatever, like they always do. And I, I, I just, I wonder if, um, I wonder if they realized that in the moment or if that was just him looking back when he got to the other side of it saying like, Oh, well that's yeah, of course that's how that went. Well, I think he knows that going in. I mean, I think he knew it in the moment. He, I think he knew it going in. I think so but too. I think, which makes I it, think he was overcome. I think he put too much stock in getting the ball to start the second half. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they go, they go three and out and then it's, it really felt like a lost opportunity. Um, but again, the red zone offense reared its ugly head, Kyle. It's been, a, it's been a problem all year. You just you just juxtapose their red zone offense to what Lincoln Riley was doing. I mean, the Philly special obviously was a great play. It was wide open. But how about the play to Braden Willis to seal the game, their last touchdown, where they do the bunch formation, tight end just slips out. That's really what OSU did last week against West Virginia. Yeah. Uh, so they obviously learned a little bit about red zone offense against West Virginia. Just It never felt like there was much creativity down the – it was basically – we're going to run power with Chuba, and if you stop us, you stop us, which that's not a horrible plan. But against the teams like Oklahoma, who are keying on him without Spencer Sanders' running ability, without Tylen Wallace to catch a fade route, you got you, you can't just line up and do that. I just, I don't know. I just, I look at the creativity Lincoln Riley shows versus what OSU does, and it's, it's stark. Just, I mean, those were walk-in, like how many walk-in touchdowns did OU have? Virtually well, all of them. I was talking to my goal line. I was talking to my dad after the game. He's like, Lincoln just he 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 like does too much. Like he like he's too many too much too many trick plays too much. And I, I almost like well, I mean it it, it worked. Like I, I don't like what's the I don't understand the complaint. I guess like if if the it, like and look like teams like OSU and OU sometimes that's what you have to do because you you don't. You're not built – I mean, it, it's a little different with OU, but you're not built to run plays from the four like Iowa is or Wisconsin is. Like you're, you're built to run like up and down the field. And so I think sometimes you get into that situation and it's like, oh, well, that, why are they running a trick play? Well, that's what they have to do it because that, that's like the way that they score. And I, and I think that Riley – I thought – I mean, how, how, uh, how funny was it that he that, – uh, he called a play where Hertz caught a pass after what Gundy said on Monday. 
Well, I think that's why they ran that play. Yeah. I think I think the one-man show comment really pissed off Oklahoma. They all talked about it afterwards. And look, Gundy's not wrong. I mean, Jalen Hurts was their leading rusher. He's obviously their leading passer. And I think they really wanted to prove a point. I think Gundy's comments really played against him in that, you know, I've been asked, I cover OU, and I've been wondering all season and into last year why they don't give the ball to Kennedy Brooks. Yeah, this is what he does. When he gets the ball, Kyle, he's going over 150 yards because yeah, he's he's, good. he's very patient. He knows how to follow blocks. He makes people miss. And I've been just pleading for Lincoln Riley to give Kennedy Brooks the ball all season. He refuses to do it. He played Trey, Trey Sermon over him last year. I've never understood it. But what did they do? They weren't running zone read. They were running handoff counterplays to Kennedy Brooks to prove that, you know, look, it's not all Jalen Hurts. And I thought, how much Lincoln put in just because of what Gundy said I don't know but it did seem like they were trying to prove a point that it wasn't just Jalen Hurts and it did play against him because they couldn't stop Kennedy Brooks and they actually did a decent job bottling up Jalen on the on the scrambles on pass plays one last note on the red zone stuff so uh, this is the one of the drives in the third quarter so they go they go field goal Oklahoma State goes field goal at the end of the second they go punt to start the third and then they go field goal uh, on their next drive in the third, they get down to OU's 13 after Braden Johnson catches that pass for 34 yards. My guy, Braden Johnson, by the way, leading the team in receiving yards. Um, so the, their first play drew Brown, complete pass to Dylan Stoner for one yard, uh, for a loss of one yard, uh, drew Brown pass incomplete to Jelani and then drew Brown pass complete to Logan Carter for five yards to get to the OU nine. So to, to your point from earlier, like they didn't, only handed off to Chuba. I don't remember. Like I'd have to go back and look which where like what those routes were like, where they were throwing it to. But they did realize like we have to throw the ball. They just didn't do it very successfully. Or into the end zone. Or even into, the or into he, the end zone. They didn't. Did the did the ball cross the plane on a pass against yeah. against OU when they were in the red zone? I I. I'd have to go back and look, but I don't think so off the top of my head. That's the problem I have. Yeah. Like, you have to try to score. You have to make the defensive back make a play in the end zone or else a touchdown. Yeah. So It's fair. It's fair. You want to get number two in the mid-first five? Yeah, number two. I thought you wrote a really good column um, on, on Bedlam in general. You said Gundy has a Bedlam problem, but OSU also has a, has a Gundy problem. Um, just kind of give an overview of – of your thoughts on, on, on that column. Yeah. So, so Gundy's bedlam problem, I think is, is pretty obvious. I don't think people need that to be explained. Uh, OSU's Gundy problem, I think is less obvious and, 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 and sort of the, um, the gist of it is like, look, Gundy is, is great. Like there, there's no data other than bedlam that you can give that says he's anything but great. And the reason he's great. So I think there are three components to being a great, college head coach and that's uh, one recruiting two is in-game management or just how you coach games and then three is is uh, program management how you manage the program and the hardest one of those is program management that's the one that's about that's culture all the just buzzwords whatever Gundy's awesome at it and that's the one that it creates a really high floor if you're a program it means you're you're not really going to go five and seven or four and eight very often if ever uh, and, and maybe, maybe your ceiling isn't, it, you know, your ceiling depends on your recruiting, which Gundy is not very good at just objectively not good, 
but that's the easiest thing to improve, which I think is frustrating to OSU fans. It's frustrating to me because that just takes time and energy and effort. Um, so OSU's Gundy problem is that they've got somebody who's the best at the thing that it's hardest to be best at, which is building a program. And he's the worst at the thing that it's easiest to be best at, which is recruiting. And the thing you pay all the money for is the, is the program building. And that's what they've got in Gundy. So they can't really do anything with him. But at the same time, he's not going to beat OU because he doesn't have the players to do it. And so it's this weird sort of wandering middle ground that we talk about all the time with Gundy. And I just don't know what the way forward is because you're just you're just not going to win very many conference championships, if any. And you're certainly not going to beat OU in the foreseeable future if they keep having great quarterbacks and keep recruiting like they are. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with your premises. I will say this about Gundy's bedlam problem. You know how many teams have beaten Oklahoma more than more than twice? Baylor and Texas. They beat them three times. That's it. Since, um, I can't remember how dating back to maybe 2010, probably 2010, something like that. I mean, nobody beats Oklahoma. So this is not, this is not exclusive to, to, to Mike Gundy. Right. That's, I think that's a point that needs to be made. I mean, Oklahoma is as blue as a blue blood gets. You keep beating the drum and it's so true that you know, OU is a top five program of all time, and this is this current period is their winning percentage is higher than it's ever been, which also needs to be stated. I mean, yeah. they're they're going about to win their fifth straight Big Twelve title. Yeah. So it's more than just a Mike Gundy problem; it really is. But I do agree that OSU is kind of stuck because Mike's floor is really high, but his ceiling I feel like has lowered since 2013. I thought 2013 was a real opportunity for Oklahoma State to not necessarily catch Oklahoma, but really really stake their claim as as one of the best programs in the country and right, really on par with Oklahoma in the moment. Yeah, yeah. That Oklahoma team in 2013 was not very good. Their recruiting had waned under Bob Stoops. Uh, if Oklahoma State wins that game, they win the Big 12 title. And I really think that win for OU propelled them to the Sugar Bowl. They beat Alabama. They get Joe Mixon, a five-star player who really helped transform their offense. If OU loses that game, I, I just feel like Oklahoma State's would have had would have had more success in Bedlam and certainly winning Big 12 titles if they win that game. I think that line is a that game in 2013 to me is a very distinct line of demarcation because since then I haven't really felt like OSU's been a contender to win the Big 12. They've lost three or more games every season since then. And I just I feel like since that time OSU's not recruited at the level necessary to win a Big 12 title and they haven't coached well enough, frankly, to to win a Big 12 title since then. So to me, I I kind of feel what you feel in that OSU's just kind of they're kind of going to be what they are right now for the foreseeable future under Mike Gundy. Back then in 20, 2011, 2012, 2013, I thought OSU could could beat Oklahoma and win the Big 12 title. I don't feel that way currently, and I don't see that changing based on the way they recruit. So I, I would agree with your column there. I, I just I will say this. It's, it's hard to beat Oklahoma. They really have gotten off the mat since 2013 themselves, with obviously with Lincoln Riley and everything else. It's going to be hard to beat them regardless, but I don't know. Ever since 2013, I think we've kind of seen the – the ceiling drop a little bit for, for Mike Gundy's program. Yeah, totally. And, and and at the same time, the ceiling has been raised for OU because of the way Riley's been recruiting. And people can holler about recruiting. I don't care. Like, 
the data is the data. Oh well, uh, well James Washington wasn't was didn't have a lot of star. Okay, well just get back to me on like looking at the overall data. I got a great email from a guy named James. Uh, he wanted, well, he didn't say to say this on the pod, but, uh, I am going to put it on the website and I wanted to read it on the pod because, uh, he mentioned you, he said, okay, final thought. And it's a spicy one is Oklahoma state, just Iowa. He said, I know, I know Car- Carson is probably freaking out hearing this suggested, <laughs> but seriously, are they, they go seven and five to nine and three every year and are never seriously a threat to knock off the big dogs. I was been really good over the last 10 years with average recruits and beat up on bad teams in the big 10 West. Oklahoma state has been really good over the last 10 years with average recruit and beat up on lesser teams in the big 12. I think Iowa is a better comp to Oklahoma state than Wisconsin or somebody else. Yeah. I don't hate that comparison. I think there's a lot of symmetry there. Well, in terms of style, it's not close. Uh, But in terms of, Wins and losses. I don't. I don't think he's necessarily wrong. I do think there is some symmetry there between, you know, Kirk Ferentz in Iowa and Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State. They're two of the longest tenured coaches in the country. They're both paid handsomely at their alma maters, and they're not going to go unless they want to go. Yeah. And it could, because much like Mike Gundy, Kirk Ferentz's floor is is pretty high. I mean, they're not going to they're not going to fire a guy that's winning seven eight games every year. They're just not. And I'm not advocating that OSU fires my gunny by any means. I'm just saying that there was a time where I thought OSU could really get one over on Oklahoma and, and really challenge them. And frankly, I thought OSU had the better team several years. Yeah. In the early, back in t- t- 2013, certainly. Uh, 2010, I, th- I thought they were the better team. You can go up down the down the several years that when OSU was favored. But uh, I don't, I don't hate that comparison. I don't. As much as it pains me to watch Iowa play football, the results are very similar to OSU. I don't want to be Iowa, but you can't. I mean, and this is this was my point in the piece. Like, you can't unhook yourself from being Iowa, right? Because, like, look, like at the end of the day, this is this is like business decisions, right? Like Oklahoma State sells out its stadium it is successful in football it might not be successful in in our eyes of wanting to win 11 games or 12 games but I think if you look broadly at like the tickets they sell and the way they travel and all these different things like I mean yes does Mike Holder want Mike Gundy to recruit better for sure he's literally said that on this podcast but like it, it if you look at the numbers, I mean, Oklahoma State football is financially successful, and that's a that's a real thing. And you can't, you don't just like unhook yourself from that. And so, what it leads to, I think, is just frustration over like wanting to be a half step better or a full step better, and just you, I just don't know if you're going to get there under under Gundy. Yeah, and he recruits studs on offense: Tylen Wallace, Chuba Hubbard. Spencer Sanders, the list goes on and on. They need to get more Trace Fords. Yeah, I know he's a local kid, but Trace Ford was a was a pretty solid. I guess he was what a three star. He was under recruited for his talent, but go get some high level four stars on defense. Like, go get them. I mean, and you'll you'll have more success. It's really as simple as that. So we don't spend too much time talking Cruton. But uh, number, number th- three, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Let's move on. <laughs> We're on the same page here. Uh, let's give some grades for the offense and defense, Kyle. I have a stat for you that is stunning. Okay, let's hear it. It might change my grade. Um, let's go to the offense. In conference play, nine games in conference play, OSU did not score more than 35 points this season. 
And they scored 35 against Tech. And they scored 35 against Tech. I have been encouraged with this season. It's been a rebuilding year. Eight wins to me is acceptable. I'm a little concerned about the offense next year. If Chuba Hubbard and Tylen Wallace leave, we don't know yet. They certainly could. They could also come back. But they had those guys a large stretch of those nine games. And the offense is not living up to the OSU standard. And I think it's a testament to the defense, frankly. They won eight games this year. Now, granted, they did have less possessions because of the defense and they were huddling and all that. But I'm sorry. that I can't give the offense more than a, more than a um, B- minus on this. Maybe even a C plus, frankly, given obviously Spencer Sanders' first year. I get that, but you're Oklahoma State, man. You got to score points to win games, and they're so fortunate the defense played as well as it did, getting turnovers down the stretch. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm a little discouraged on on where they're going to be offensively next year, based on based on the uh, the results of this year. Okay, I've got a stat for you. Uh, Oklahoma State coming into Bedlam. Uh, 41st in the country in offensive points per drive. So it's not just a it's not just a pace thing. Uh, they've been less efficient this year uh, than in than in the past. Kansas State, uh, 49th in the country in points per drive. So they're basically Kansas State on offense because they're running about the same number of possessions, right? Like they've slowed it down. Pace of play is a lot slower, and they're scoring at about the same rate. And so. It's it. I mean, it's it's weird. It sounds weird, but it's it's true. Uh, the result, the uh, numbers aren't updated for after the final week of games. Um, but yeah, that's what they were going into. Oklahoma State was forty first. Kansas State forty ninth in the country in points per drive. Turnaround on defense. Oklahoma State forty third in defensive points per drive, which is a great number for them. Uh, and Kansas State is forty first. So they're basically Kansas State this year, right? In terms of <laughs> efficiency on offense and defense. So. I think because, and this is maybe this is unfair, maybe this is an expectations thing, but I've got offense at a C plus just because of how great they've been in the last, I don't know, twelve years, ten years, whatever you want to, whatever number you want to put on it. And then I got the defense at a B plus just because are the efficiency numbers elite? No, but compared to what they've been uh, in past years, they're really good. I mean, forty what is that 43rd in the country coming into bedlam that'll go up they'll probably end up around 50th it's a pretty good number and not only that but they like you said they won them games like they won games because of their defense uh if you if you actually watch the games and saw the way they turn teams over like that's that's why they're eight and four not because the offense so i'll go b plus on defense so you've compared we've compared Oklahoma State to Iowa and Kansas State on this pod. I mean, that's, things are looking up, huh? It is what it is. Like the, the, <laughs> these are the numbers. Oh boy, yeah, I'm giving the offense or the the defense rather an A. I, I can't go A plus because of the Baylor debacle, but I'll go I'll go with a solid A. They 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 really won games for them in the Big Twelve, and I think Jim Knowles deserves a lot of credit. I thought. I thought he pushed all the right buttons this year. Now the, the Oklahoma game, notwithstanding, they really just got run over against Oklahoma. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what he he could have done schematically, frankly, against that offensive line of OU. Yeah. But um, that was a disappointing performance to end the season. But I, I still got to go with an A. They they exceeded expectations. They won games for them and really kept them in games they had no business being in, like the Texas Tech game in the first half. They had no business being in that game. And people forget about it now, but the McNeese State 
first half was a debacle on the first three <laughs> possessions by the offense. Yeah, it they was. Like two fumbles and a three and out, and the ball was on their half the whole first ten minutes, and the OU defense flipped the field for them. Does, I know it's McNeese. But. Doesn't the Oregon State game feel like it never happened? Like It, it, like, it really felt like a different team. Yeah, yeah. That offense and that defense, you're like, oh, same old Oklahoma State. And then the rest of the year, you're like, wait a second. Like, what? what is this? This is not what I saw at Oregon state. Yeah. And it just, it, to me, it, again, it felt like the offense after that first drive against Texas fundamentally changed in terms of what they were willing to do. Yeah. Or, or cause, cause remember Sanders throws the pick, Texas gets it into the, the red zone off yeah. his pick. Yeah. Ever since then, it felt like they were too afraid to let their quarterback go. We will never, of the rest of the season. We will never throw another forward pass. Never again. <laughs> I don't know why I went Bill Clinton there. Uh, Texas Tech scored 45 points twice this year. That was the most they scored uh, all year. They did it against uh, Montana State and Oklahoma State. Yeah, and people will probably rail against me saying, well, they get, they were terrible in the second half. Well, when your offense keeps has five turnovers and three and outs, and you're on the field 80% of the game, like – the dam's going to break. OSU's yeah. not Clemson on defense. They can't keep running out there at a certain point. To me, it's a lot like what happened to Baylor against Oklahoma in the second half. They were out there the whole game, and just yeah. the dam broke. Yeah. So, again, I think the defense was exceptional this year. So, those are our season grades. Uh, we don't really need to do special teams, do we? Kicking no, was no. so-so. Coverage units are pretty good. Yeah. I thought they are pretty good on kick coverage. But, uh, uh, number let's four. Let's go number, number four. Chuba. Uh, Chuba Chuba's... Heisman campaign to me is over. I thought the Oklahoma game was his chance to to punch his ticket to New York, and I don't think he he did enough to get there. Frankly, he got held to four yards carry. And again, I don't I don't think this is Chuba's fault. I think if they have Spencer Sanders and Tylen Wallace, he yeah. runs for two hundred yards against Oklahoma just because they can't they could just put all of their resources to him, yeah. and OSU was not willing to make them pay for that. So. I, I don't think he's going to New York, but again, he he falls short of 2,000. But again, it's one of the most historic seasons, and not just OSU history, but college football history. So it's it's remarkable, and we'll have to wait and see if he's going to play in the bowl game. I do not think he will. I think he's probably done as an Oklahoma State Cowboy, and if that's so, he's he'll go down as one of the greats. Uh, there were many shirts that uh, we had designed and were ready to print based on how Saturday night went, and. Uh... I don't know if they'll ever get printed because I'm with you. I, I don't think that I don't think he's going to play in the bowl game, which uh, is fine. Like I don't begrudge him, be downgrade him for that. Um, it, it is a bummer that he's not probably not going to get to 2000. That's such a special number. It's only been done. What is it? 31, 32 times in NCAA history. Um, but on the other hand, it's it's uh, Barry and Chuba at the top in terms of single-season uh, rushing leaders at Oklahoma State. So that's a real thing. He passes uh, – who did he pass? Thurman and Terry Miller. You're, by the way, I think Oklahoma State might have been trolling us on Saturday night. We haven't talked about this. <laughs> they, they were. <laughs> Terry Miller was in the house. And they put him on the Jumbotron for like five minutes, and he was waving at us. I half expected your dad, Mike, to escort him out of the stadium, like to just come up and shake his hand and um, give him a PFB shirt and just walk him out of the like t- of the tunnel, like up to the to the stands. I half expected my dad to kind of raise Terry Miller's arm like a like a UFC referee after a guy wins. <laughs> 
Terry Miller for the old. I, I thought they were going to pop his name up there with Princey's hashtag old. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the, the Chuba thing, I mean, he, he didn't try very hard to, uh, to keep it a secret that he was not going to play the bowl game and that he was gone. Did you see that? Well, yeah. Did, did he say like, he didn't know if he was going to play in the bowl game? Yeah. And it was kind of like wink, 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 wink. Like, we'll see you. I'll see you next year at homecoming. Well, if, if you're not, if you're not coming out and saying you're playing in it right right after the game, you're probably not going to play in it right. <laughs> at all. Right, like, right. Like, if you're already not sure, then you're probably not going to. So, But again, I think Justice Hill kind of laid the groundwork for how this is to be done, right? He, he set out the, the Liberty Bowl and um, got ready for the draft. And I don't think anyone should be downgrade Chuba nope. for doing the same. I wouldn't play in the Liberty Bowl if I had millions of dollars riding on it. Yep, zero issues uh, at all. But... Um, I thought Chuba looked great in the spats, by the way. God, oh, he looked great. Well, I have more takes on that later. Um, okay. Okay, number five. Let's talk about something positive. Yeah, another person that emerged from the tunnel and they put on the big screen was was Mike Boynton. I thought he got a big ovation. I thought he really capitalized on a, an opportunity there to try to get people out to Gallagher-Iba. And I got a text, speaking of my dad, I got a text from him after the dismantling of, of Ole Miss, which came after the dismantling of Syracuse. And he said, Damn, we have a basketball team, and I think that's, I think that's the take here. I think they are legit. I think we keep focusing so much on Cade Cunningham and next year when Kyle, they're they're good. And what strikes me so much in watching them, obviously they just beat the beat the crap out of Syracuse and Ole Miss. wasn't even close. Uh, Mike Boyne, when he took over, he kept harping on that he wanted length, he wanted athleticism, and he wanted defensive intensity. Well, his vision is in full view. It is it is coming into fruition as we speak because they just mauled Ole Miss. Ole Miss did not know what hit them. And I could not have been more impressed with their two games. That's as impressive a two-game stretch as I can remember from OSU basketball, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I kept waiting in, in the I, – I didn't watch – the Syracuse, but I covered the Ole Miss. I was at my in-laws, and Marshall and I were up late, pre-Bedlam, uh, just staying up late, watching just OSU just destroy Ole Miss, revenge for the 16 Sugar Bowl, revenge for Laquan, Laquan Treadwell. Um, 2009 Sugar Bowl as well? I can't, yeah, Cotton, wasn't it? Every year that was. Or yeah, Cotton, not sure. I kept waiting for, okay, they're going to get cold, Ole Miss is going to make a run. They'll cut it to five. Can OSU hang on? That's just how college basketball works, right? Like that's just everybody's kind of the same. You see it in every game, and then and then they just kept like extending the lead, and you're like, "What? This thing's over! Like, what's going on here?" I got I got a panic text from OKC Dave at like midnight that night about uh, Oklahoma State's uh, defensive efficiency. They're up to tenth in the country in defensive efficiency on Ken Palm, which is. Mm just a joke of a number. Uh, they're 52nd in offense, which is good, but 10th in defense is just unbelievable. They haven't won eight straight to open a year, Carson, since uh, 2006, 2006-7 season. And mm. they got Georgetown at home on Wednesday night to win eight straight to open the year. So speaking of ceilings, the ceiling on this has been raised in terms of expectations this season. Absolutely. And I think it really speaks well. You know, we talk about Boynton as a recruiter. 
him as a coach too, because the the end of the halves, the end of the first half against Syracuse, they go on a thirteen nothing run. The end of the half against Ole Miss, they go on an eighteen to one run to really give themselves and ex- a breathing room and to extend the game. And I think that that speaks well to Boynton's plans down the stretch. You know, a lot of timeouts to end halves. I thought he really really did a good job getting them to close out the halves well too to to make sure that they didn't lose a lead. But um, I'm going to be holding my breath every single game that your A doesn't get into foul trouble because if he doesn't, he is a destroyer of worlds. Yeah, he looked he looked like young Shaq against Ole Miss. He was running the floor, swatting everything inside. I equated it. I know you don't watch movies, Kyle, but for the for the listeners, the movie Blue Chips when they go see young Shaq in this Bayou warehouse, he's basically like swatting shots into like the. 10th row and dunking on everyone, just playing against a bunch of overmatched pickup dudes. And that's what your A looks like right now. It looks like he's playing against a bunch of D3 managers. He's swatting <laughs> them at left and right, dunking on them. It, he is a man amongst boys. He's going to double his production in terms of points and rebounds from last year. Like He's going to double it. And, I mean, I'm... <laughs> I was watching that game going, is this guy going to be here next year? Like, is he going to the NBA? <laughs> like, I, I could not have been more impressed with, with how good your A looks. His progress has been absolutely stunning. He's the best big man they've had since, I don't even know when. I might have to go back to big country for all I know. He's, uh, hold on, I've got it right here. He's number one in the country in uh, block percentage. So that's uh, he had a he had a block on an Ole Miss dude that was like an alley oop one handed dunk. He just I thought he hurt the guy with how much he blocked his shot. So this is the percentage the percentage of opponents two point shots that are blocked by the player while he is on the court, and his block percentage is nineteen percent. So nineteen percent of <laughs> opponents two point shots are blocked by Yarnay. I mean, look <laughs> like this is what happens when you have pros, right? Yours a pro, likely's a pro. Now, am, I'm not listen. I'm not saying they're going to be like first round picks or lottery picks or whatever. Like Kyle, Kyle Boone was hollering about uh, likely being a, a, a first round pick, which delights me. But um, I mean, this is the deal, and there's going to be more pros coming in the future. And the difference, is, I think, is, and I be, I believe this. I, I guess it hasn't completely played out, but you can have all the pros in the world, and if you can't coach them, then it doesn't matter. Mike Boynton can coach him, right? Like we saw that in year one. Beats Kansas, uh, beat wins at West Virginia. I mean, it's not. It, I, I don't know. I'm I'm irrational about it. I think everybody's irrational about it. But I think there's reason to be irrational about it. It's a ton of fun. Oklahoma State's really good, and I think they're going to get better. And I think not not just this year, but I think they're going to get better from next year, the year after that. I'm fired up about it. it it's going to be awesome. Basketball season's gonna be a lot of fun. You're yeah. you're a basketball blog now. Yeah, that's Marshall. Let us know on uh, Wednesday night when they beat Syracuse. This is a <laughs> basketball blog. So that's the mid first five. Uh, we got bullets and BBs to get to, Kyle. Yeah, let's uh, let's do bullets and BBs, but let's do uni review first. Are you good with that? Sure. Okay, let's get to this this week's uniform review. Brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one stop cowboy shop on campus corner. Be sure to shop online at Chris universityspirit.com stop by Chris's on when was that Friday uh, got to check in with them got the kids some gear got uh, our youngest boy a uh, pistol Pete pitching shirt 
like the baseball Pete, pitching Pete, yeah, whatever you call it. Uh, so he loved that. So uh, it was good to see them. They're good people. They do a great job. You guys should uh, check them out. What did you think about the uniforms, Carson? You didn't get them bass fishing, Pete? <laughs> I like bass fishing, Pete. I, I need to get him Mike Boynton, Pete, if there is one. Yeah, basketball, Pete. Yeah. Um, the uniforms were stunning. And again, you can you can have your white helmets and your white pants if you want. Just give me black and orange. I go back to the black, black, orange combo they wore. The black, orange, black, and the all black. Like just, if you just give me two colors, give me those. I thought, I thought that's as good of a home uniform as they've worn all season. It it looks, the orange just on the new jerseys, Kyle, under the lights just pops. It just looks a little different than any other orange they wear. Uh, it looks it looks even different than the orange pants. Frankly, it looks a little lighter than the orange pants. But um, it looked awesome. I, I loved it. I love they've perfected the brand helmet. The brand's a little bigger. It's a little more chromey. And it just it looked it looked awesome. Um but the thing I really wanted to review Kyle was that hoodie that Mike Gundy was wearing. Mm. That thing that thing was sick. Yeah. I could have done without the the giant cowboys on the back. Yeah. I get why they put that on there, but I, the loyal and true patch. That was pretty sick. I, that that's just another example of attention to detail by the equipment staff. I think that that goes right along with the badge to me, the the loyal and true patch that was on the hoodie. I thought it looked really sharp, and uh, I just I loved the look. I, I don't know why Lincoln Riley and Mike Gundy wear wear hoodies when they coach, but uh, it looked good. Do you, I like the hoodie. Do you think that? Um, do you think coaches should have to wear suits like they used to? No, but a hoodie to me almost feels like you're wearing pajamas, <laughs> like. Like Bob Stoops used to wear like kind of like a, a jacket, like just wear like an OU jacket or an OSU jacket. Isn't it the is, hoodie? The hoodie it, tucked in is just. Weird. Isn't it weird that like so if you look at college football, they wear hoodies and tennis shoes. Uh, the NBA, you wear suits and ties, or even college basketball, and then in Major League Baseball, you wear a, an actual uniform or ba- or or college baseball. I mean, mm-hmm. Josh Holiday wears a uniform to work. Mike Gundy wears a hoodie. And Mike Boynton wears a suit and tie. Yeah, Boynton should have that written in his contract. I have to buy nice suits to wear Do, every game. Boynton I, have to, sh- I have to wear different ones. Boynton should get to wear a hoodie. I mean, Boynton could wear a hoodie. Yeah. I, don't, I don't care what he does. Well, he does every time he's not coaching. Yeah. He's, he's rocking the, the Gundy look. But, you know, Lincoln Riley dresses down more than, than Gundy. You know, he has not worn a collar since he's been the head coach. Yeah, that's he's only worn those long sleeve dry fits and a, hoodies. That's appalling. No, weird. I, I don't I don't really care. Whatever. But um so two things. One, it felt like twenty eleven. It felt like I was watching the twenty eleven game. Right? The uniform, like just With the, the whole unis, yeah. And, until until Jalen Hurt scored one minute and forty three seconds into the game. Uh number two Chuba's spats should take Chuba's place at the Heisman ceremony because they were um, oh, man. unbelievable. They were so awesome. Yeah, they were. They were. It was. It was spectacular. It was great. Why does that look so good? Does it just call back to memories of like Desmond Howard or? Yeah, I don't know. Why, I, why does that? It just looks cool. And Jalen Hurts does it too. I don't know why everybody doesn't do it. If I was a football player, that's the first thing I would do. I'd be like. Okay, I'll worry about the game plan later. What are my spats looking like on on Saturday? Like, 
Yeah. I, I'll, yeah. For any for any listener who has no idea what we're talking about, it's just the the tape on the shoes. Yeah. Just looks cool. Yeah. It's it's incredible. So. Um. Okay. Bullets and BBs. Yep. Let's do it. Uh, you go first with your bullet sticker. People might be surprised by this one, but I'm going to give a bullet sticker to Trey Sterling, who was ejected for targeting. Kyle, if that's targeting, just cancel the sport. It's a bang. <laughs> it's a bang bang play. It was targeting. He, he doesn't. He doesn't lower his head. It's a form. It's a form football tackle that's been going on since the beginning of time. And look, I get that his helmet happened to touch his, but he's running full speed, full speed at an OU athlete. And if he tries to go to the side with his head or go too low and misses the tackle, the guy's running for 50 yards and he hasn't done his job. So I don't blame Trey Sterling at all for what he did. Could he have gone a little lower? Probably, maybe, but that's easy for you and I to say watching it on TV or at the game. Like, his livelihood is right there. Go hit him. He did. He did his job. And I get that that's the rule now, but to me the rule is not what they intended. The rule is what they intended for is when a guy's going over the middle and he's defenseless and you just say, you know what, I'm going to light this dude up. Or you you launch yourself, which he did not do, by the way. You launch yourself with the crown of your helmet just to inflict harm or damage. He wrapped the guy up. He it was a picture-perfect tackle. But when you're running full speed, your helmet is going to inevitably touch an offensive player's helmet. That's just going to happen. And now we kick players out of the game for it. Now, Trey Sterling can't play in the bowl game. How stupid is that? It's uh, it's asinine. So, helmet sticker for you, Trey Sterling. I thought you played well. Wow. You're fired up. It's idiotic. And I, I get all these replies on Twitter just, well, that's perfect. That's textbook targeting. No, it's not. That's not textbook targeting. He didn't launch himself. If he goes to the side, he miss it. He might miss the tackle and not do his job. Like I, I feel so bad for these defensive players. Their hands are literally tied because even if they make a tackle, they get kicked out of the game for it. Gundy, uh, Gundy didn't seem too upset about it. He said Sterling got up high. You know, our first one says a lot of things. Well, we'll get to him in a second. Uh, My bullet sticker goes to my guy, my guy, Braden Johnson. Played well. OSU's best weapon. He was awesome. He got targeted, I think, five times, had four catches for like, I don't know, 72, 77 yards, something like that. Uh, He was really good, and he's very versatile. Like, he can go deep. He can catch something kind of coming off like a slant or like coming off the edge and then just like run past guys. I mean, that's what he did when he got all the way down to OU's 13 in the, in the, at the end of the third quarter. Uh, he was, he was good. And uh, he's been, you know, I think one of the unintended benefits and, you know, who knows if Tylen's coming back next year, but with him being out, Braden Johnson's gotten a lot of, a lot of quality, like, experience and playing time this year. And I think that will be uh, a real benefit to OSU's receivers going forward. Yeah, he played well. Uh, I'll give a BB to Mike Gundy. Again, it kind of goes back to what I, I was kind of saving this for the BB segment, but, but come on, dude, you got to go for it. You can't play scared against Oklahoma. You didn't the last two years. So I thought you might not this year. 
And I get you have Drew Brown, you have a backup quarterback, you don't have Tylen Wallace. But you gotta you gotta coach better than that. You have to go for the jugular. You have to throw to your NFL tight end. You know, they didn't throw it to Blake Jarwin, and the Dallas Cowboys throw it to Blake Jarwin. So I mean again, you gotta you gotta utilize all your weapons and you got to go for the jugular. You're not as good as Oklahoma. You know this. Take some risks, take some chances, BB sticker for you. Yeah, I also had Mike Gundy written down. Um, it was more. I just thought his his post game press conference was. Uh, he just seemed resigned, not not that he resigned from his job, but he just seemed kind of distant from it all. And maybe that's just the way he like copes with it. But he just seemed like, well, you know, they're better. They played better. We got to coach better. And it's like, well, okay, like, is that? I, I don't know. And and maybe maybe the flip side of that is like, okay, well, what do you want him to say? And, and I guess I don't know that, but it just, it came off as like, I don't know. It just came off as kind of ambivalent. And that's a little bit how he is. And I think that there's some good in that. I think, I think it takes some caring about the right things to be a good leader of an organization like that. But this is one of the right things to care about. And he just seemed... Remember after 17, like he was jacked up. He was talking about how nobody's more competitive than me. You know, we could play tiddlywinks and I would, I would be the most competitive person in the stadium. This was a real turning point for the program. We're going to get a jumbotron. People are giving me money. And this year it was like, well, shouldn't have kicked field goals. And you're like, okay, (laughs) like, is that like, what? Is there anything – his press conference was almost over in like three and a half minutes, and then it got kind of weirdly extended. But I just thought that was kind of – I don't know. It, it wasn't the greatest. BB sticker to, to Mike yeah. Gundy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm a fan of Mike Gundy. I think he's done a great job. All, all that goes without saying, right? It's just – you just – there's a reason – like you're 2-13 and 13 against OU because you don't have as good, of, as good of players. Yeah. But – you could have more than two if you if you went for it a little more than you have. If you were a little more aggressive, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, okay. When you talk about mid first again, Carson, uh, bank with a winner. It's got to be a joke in there somewhere. Uh, JD Power, JD Power, highest satisfaction score for the second year in a row. Oklahoma Reader's Choice Awards, best bank for the sixth year in a row, best mobile app second year in a row. Mid first bank's a winner. They've been awesome. They've been the OU of Bedlam, unfortunately, for Oklahoma State fans. Um, check them out, midfirst.com slash pistols firing. Carson, what is your one interesting thing? Well, I hate when fans think that like there's some agenda from ESPN. Like that's here we go. That's not the case. It's not the case at all. But here here's what is the case. ESPN employs people who do not watch the football games. They just attach themselves to tired, year-olds, years-old narratives. Look no further than Jim Mora Jr. on ESPN saying that OU's defense is a disaster. They're 26th overall in total defense. They're number one overall in Big 12 defense, number one in pass defense. And he says Baylor doesn't tackle people, and OU don't tackle people. Baylor is one of the hardest-hitting defenses you'll see. They knocked Jalen Hurts' visor off. They hit him so hard in their first meeting. Baylor has an has NFL players on their defense because Matt Rule is a hell of a defensive coach. This guy doesn't watch the games. Tom Luganbill, 
doesn't watch the games. He just points out OU's points against, not realizing that TCU had a pick six because he didn't watch the freaking game. So ESPN is not biased. They don't have some agenda. They just employ people who don't do their job. And it's amazing the things that get said on ESPN by people who don't even look up a simple statistic. They don't even have to watch the game to have some opinion. But they don't do either. And it's just it's amazing for me to watch. The latter part is uh, the part that gets me. Like, I get it. There's, you know, 70 games every week or 60 or whatever. Like, you can't watch all of them. That's that's preposterous. But you can look up numbers. That's not hard. You can – you can uh, and <clears throat> look, like, the, the, the part of the rant that – and people have seen it probably. I, I wrote about it actually this morning for, for the site – because it's just it's nonsense like the and the thing that pisses me off is that it it feels like whatever the sec does is the way you should do it right oh sec 13 to 10 games breathtaking back in 2010 right 2011 now it's like (laughs) oh auburn and bama combined for 93 points what a classic what a classic game and you're like okay well which one is it and why like what does the big 12 need to do to like live up to that right and i mean the thing that kills me so more goes on there uh lsu tackles clemson tackles ou doesn't tackle (laughs) baylor doesn't guess what jim jamie james jimmy lsu gave up 38 to texas ou and baylor gave up 37 (laughs) combined to texas in two games total against texas so, wow. so precious LSU who look, they're good, but they're figuring out like if you pick up the pace and you score a lot, you're going to give up a lot. That's the way it works. And so I just, the narrative is just, it's silly and it needs to go away. And I think we need to, I don't know. It, it just, it's nonsense. Well, and it ultimately doesn't matter. Like Jim Mora is not deciding who goes to the playoff, but it does speak to the narratives that are out there about the Big 12 who pe- from people who don't watch it. It's just, it's weird. It's stupid. And ESPN shouldn't employ people that don't know what they're talking about. And again, you don't have to watch every game across the country, but you need to watch the two teams in the top seven. That you're, <laughs> you're, if you're going to break down the playoff race, which is what they were doing, you kind of need to watch the games to, to break down a team, don't you? My gosh. So stupid. Um, anyway. OU's getting in. Can you imagine way. if we were doing the... Can you imagine if we were doing the pod in 2011 when all these BCS, Bama, and OSU debates were going on? We would spend hours <laughs> ber- berating Kirk Herbstreet's eye test. Uh, OU's getting in. Yeah, of course they are. Their yeah. resume is light years better than Utah's. And, and they're Oklahoma. I saw on uh, Banner Society today, which is the SB Nation site, uh, OSU Oregon in the Arroyo Bowl, San Antonio. Let's go, Alamo. Sign me up. Uni, maybe, the Uni Bowl. Maybe Chuba would play against his former recruiter. Can, can I get some like Oregon swag while I'm down there? Mm. Yeah, they like give away those media, or- the, the media gift bags. I'll take uh, one Oregon hoodie and two yeah. dry fits, please. Yeah, all the, all the dry fits you got. Uh, my one interesting thing is that uh, in 2005, Lincoln Riley – was a student assistant coach at Texas Tech. He was 21 years old. Over the next five years, he was a graduate assistant at Texas Tech. He was coaching receivers, receivers, and inside receivers. Uh, Mike Gundy started coaching Oklahoma State in 2005 and coached them for the next five years, and then the next 10 years after that. 
And somehow Lincoln Riley now has more Bedlam wins than Mike Gundy does. <laughs> well, it's not somehow. It's because of who he coaches. It's not good. And Lincoln Riley also is almost halfway. How about this? He's got three Bedlam wins. Oklahoma State in Stillwater has seven Bedlam wins ever since 1900. <laughs> they only have won seven since 1900? In Stillwater. In Stillwater. Wow. The other 11 have come in either Norman or back when they used to play in Oklahoma City. Which would be sweet. They should move this game to Oklahoma City. <laughs> Where would they play it? Uh, I don't know. Chesapeake Arena? Just An indoor football yeah, game? An arena, an arena league game. In front of 19,000? <laughs> Uh, okay, let's hear one more time from our sponsor, Chris's University Spirit. We'll come back, wrap this thing up, and yeah, we'll be done. Chris's University Spirit on Campus Corner in Stillwater, Oklahoma, is proud to be your one-stop cowboy shop since 1986 and proud sponsor of this podcast, Pistols Firing. They specialize in custom-printed Oklahoma State apparel and merchandise and pride themselves on their excellent customer service. They also offer a full line of custom Greek apparel and can even outfit your Little League team head to toe. They're located at the corner of 3rd and Knobloch on Historic Campus Corner. You can follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Shop Stilly, shop Chris's University Spirit. Okay, Carson, parting thoughts? Anything? Terry Miller takes? Yeah, overall... Yeah, eight-win season. I think that's what I predicted before the year. So good year, good rebuilding year in terms of they're going to have a really young, athletic, fun defense. And uh, it's going to be incumbent on Mike Gundy and Sean Gleason to to do better on offense and find some playmakers because I don't think Chuba's coming back. I'd be surprised if Tywin Wallace did, given his family history. So, uh, look, Texas is down. It's I think OSU will be picked second or third, depending on how you feel about Baylor next year and all they, what all they lose. And uh, – you know, the beat goes on. The floor's high, ceiling's a little lower, but OSU football's uh, going to be good again next year, I think. The beat goes on. Iowa State, once again, does not win nine games in a season. So, always, uh, <laughs> always right in the world. Sun, sun rises Check in the east. Check that on the, uh, yeah. in the west. You got that one right. Uh, okay, Carson, great stuff. Fun season, as always. We will be back later in the week to talk. It's a basketball podcast now, too, maybe. So, we're going to talk some hoops later in the week. Let's work. See you, Carson.